chapter 3, beginning in verse 3, the Bible says, For we ourselves were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness of, uh, and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Gracious Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time of of, uh, worship where we can come in out of the world to hear your word preached, that we might be strengthened, made better, more prepared for the work week ahead, for the things that are in store in the time to come. We pray that you would just bless us and help us to be attentive and to receive from your preaching today the things that we need to help us to become more like Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. During the Civil War uh, between the states, there was a, uh, a band of um, murderous th- thugs in the Southwest made up of some of the most infamous villains of that time. Their leader was a man named Quantrell. Their hideout was in the hills near Kansas City, Missouri. They would sweep across the, the, the border into the neighboring state. They would rob, they would plunder, they would burn homes to the ground, burn barns, farms to the ground. They, they were just killers, ruthless through and through. There was a group, uh, a police group established called the Kansas Redlegs. Doesn't instill the greatest fear in a person, but that was their name, the Kansas Redlegs. And they were charged with hunting down and shooting on sight the members of this group. One day, the uh, Quantrell's men came down out of the hills, and they were robbing and pillaging. The Kansas Redlegs uh, were hot on their heels, and they caught up with a group of these men and uh, caught them. And as given by order, they were to execute them on sight. They dug a trench in the ground. They lined these men up, bound hand and foot, They put cloths over their eyes and stood them with their heels on the edge of that trench. They stood there knowing that the end for them was imminent. They were condemned. The word condemnation is not a pleasant word at all. It it means to be found guilty, and the punishment of death was to be executed upon you. Paul wrote a beautiful letter to the Romans, the book of Romans. 
But it starts off with a topic of condemnation. You know, if, if I was to write a letter to someone, I would not want to start off with the topic of condemnation. It's a, it's a, it's a terrible topic of, of sin and punishment. He goes on to talk about the topics of sanctification and glorification, justification. All these are just, they're great. And that, that's where I would have liked to have started my letter. But you can't fully appreciate the topics of glorification, justification, sanctification without understanding condemnation first. It is understanding that we are sinners worthy of an eternal death sentence, that salvation by faith through Christ becomes all the more meaningful, that sanctification, being set apart from sin unto God, becomes more meaningful, and future glorification where we will receive heavenly bodies that are not filled with sin anymore, that we will never desire to rebel against God, but will live with him for forever and ever. Just like you cannot appreciate the spring unless you've gone through a hard winter, you cannot appreciate these topics without understanding condemnation first. These men were lined up awaiting their execution. Can't hardly tell this story without tearing up. <laughs> the order was about to be given for them to be executed. When a man in the woods close by jumped out and he cried out to the to the captain of the the Kansas Red Legs stop wait and this was his plea he says i am guilty as well he pointed to one man who was bound and gagged and blindfolded he said would you allow me to take that man's place. He has family. He has a wife. He has children. I have nobody. If I die, nobody will miss me. Would you allow me to take that man's place? <clears throat> and they granted his request. He stood there, bound and gagged, and was shot all the men fell backwards into that trench and they buried them in a shallow grave. The man who went free returned to that site, dug up his body and gave him a proper burial. When the Civil War was over, there was a man, Major Whittle, who was riding his horse home from the war. He rode through a cemetery and he saw this man weeping at a cemetery plot. And he stopped his horse and he said, your son, thinking that his son had died in the, in the war and that he was weeping over his son's grave. He said, no. He said, a friend 
and he shared the story of how this man took his place and died for the things that he had done wrong. It's a story of a condemned man who was set free because someone else died in his place. It's a small picture of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Many years ago in Russia, during the days of the Romanov regime, a young soldier sat reviewing his life. He began to write on paper all the debts that he had owed, that he owed to people. And as he thought and he wrote down a debt and the amount, wrote down a name that he owed money to and the amount, another name that he owed money to and the amount, he became more and more staggered at the mountain of what he owed to people. He was deeply depressed. That paper laid there. He put his arms down on his desk and he fell asleep. Walking through the troops that night was the czar. And he saw this piece of paper and he picked it up and he read it. He asked for a pen and he wrote on the paper, make payment in full from the czar's um, treasuries. Again, a small picture of what God has done for us. He tells in, in, the, in the Bible of a story of a man who owed a, a sin debt of, of billions of dollars. And the king just washes away his debt. That's what Jesus Christ has done for us. As good a person as I try to be, I sin against God daily. You cannot be perfect. Sin is a missing of the mark of God's perfection. And we all sin daily. I had a mountain of sin debt, and Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. There's story of uh, there's scripture in in the book of Revelation where there's the great white throne of judgment and it says the books were brought forward. All the people who were dead and alive are brought before the great white throne and the books and all the things that those people had done in their lifetime are written down in those books. Could you imagine if every wrong thought that you ever had was written on a piece of paper? If every bad attitude that you ever had was written down on paper? If every bad word that you said, whether it was a foul word or a word said in anger and hatred, was written down on paper? Could you imagine if every bad action that you had ever done, taking of something, the pushing of of someone out of line 
and butting in line. I remember in kindergarten, I was first in line for, what do they call sleep time? We take a nap, nap time. I was first in line. First time I had ever been first in line. Someone butt in front of me, and I bit that kid's arm so hard. <laughs> and I left terrible bite marks on that. I don't ever remember biting anybody else ever, but boy, that kid butt in front of me, and his butting in front of me was written down in that book. Maybe my biting also, I'm not sure. But. <laughs> Could you imagine how thick a book would be written with the sins that you have committed? And it says they were judged out of the things that were written in those books. And the dead were cast into the lake of fire. To be brought up from a temporary place of torment next to Abraham's bosom, to come before a perfect judge who knows every wrong thing that I've done, and then to go from that into a lake of eternal judgment, eternal fire. It's only when we understand condemnation that the topics of, of mercy and grace can truly be understood. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace are ye saved through faith. Faith in Jesus Christ on the cross. We received an unearned blessing of God. It is the forgiveness of our sin debt. Grace is an unmerited or unearned blessing. In regards to salvation, grace is the unearned, undeserved forgiveness of our sin debt. Mercy is related to grace, but it's different. It says in Titus, verse 5, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Mercy, as we discussed in Sunday school class, has a great deal to do with compassion. It is, mercy is when you see an individual that is suffering, suffering because of a physical illness, a financial problem, because they have sinned and they understand there's a punishment for sin. Whatever it is, seeing someone suffering and their hurt is in your heart to the point where it moves you to do something about it. See, sympathy sees that hurt and it says, that's too bad, but does nothing about it. Compassion sees that hurt and it moves you to do something to alleviate that misery, at least to a little extent, to help carry that burden, to lighten that load, to help out in some way. 
God sees the sinner, the godly sinner, in misery over their sin and seeks to do something about it by alleviating that misery. But it's funny. Not, not everybody is in misery over, over sin. You have in the countryside a mud bog on the side of the road and there's a swine, a big, fat, 600-pound sow rolling around in it. They're in hog heaven. They could not be happier rolling around in that slop. You have a, a young girl in her Sunday going to meeting clothes, walking down that road, and a bully pushes her off the road, and she falls into that mud. She is miserable, covered in that same slop. Not everybody is miserable over sin. Some people just revel in it. We see it in society today. We see it in the news every day. Some people revel in sin. It is the individual who is in misery over their sin. Not in misery because they got caught. Most people are in misery when they get caught. But misery in the fact that they committed sin. God sees that misery. And he has mercy on that individual. He cares about the misery that that individual is in. It is according to his mercy that he saves us. It used to be, I doubt whether this occurs any, any longer, but it used to be that you would hear when a man was before a judge and that judge found him guilty and he was about to pass sentence on that individual, that a man might say this, I throw myself on the mercy of the court. What he's asking for is he's asking for that judge who is about to condemn him to lighten his load, to not give him all that he deserves. Please have mercy on me. It is For by grace are ye saved through faith, and you have, it is not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Mercy and grace only can be truly appreciated when you understand condemnation. And so, as oftentimes in soul-winning class, it is said, you must first help a person to be lost before they can be saved. You must help them to understand that they're a sinner in need of a Savior. If I was to come to you and I said, look, I'd like to take you to the hospital right now. There's a surgery that I want the doctor to perform. 
He's going to take out a portion of you. There's going to be a long recovery. It's going to be painful, but I want to do this. You would say, Brother Shaw, you are crazy. There is no way I'm going to go and allow someone to hack me open. I had a ski accident one time where a ski came down out of the sky, my own ski, wiped out. It came down and hit me in the forehead and big slice in my forehead, blood all over the place. They put me on a, uh, a stretcher behind a guy on, a, on, a, uh, on skis and they skied me down to uh, the little hospital place there, the little Red Cross station. And, and this young girl in college is like, oh, that's going to need stitches. I said, have you ever done stitches before? She said, no. I said, well, you're not practicing your, your sewing on me. I said, give me a Band-Aid. And then we put a Band-Aid on that, and I walked out. I was like, forget this. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not for it. And you wouldn't be for it either if I said, let's go to the hospital. But if I was to show you x-rays, if I was to show you a CAT scan, if I was to show you why you needed this operation you'd be much more agreeable to seeking a solution to this problem. A person who does not understand that there is condemnation, a person who doesn't understand that they're a sinner in need of a Savior, will not seek a solution. They will not seek a Savior. They will just go into eternity lost and unsaved. God saw the misery that certain individuals were in over sin that they had committed. And he provided mercy. He had compassion, and he provides mercy to alleviate. And he gave a Savior to die for my sins. But the grace of God extends beyond that. The grace of God is in that Jesus not only died for my sins, but his blood washed away all my sins. Because even though the punishment was paid, if I'm not cleansed, I cannot come into the presence of a holy and righteous God. The blood needed to be applied in the Old Testament. The blood of Christ was applied to us, and it cleanses us of all sins so that I can receive the grace, eternal life through Jesus Christ and come into the presence of a holy and righteous God where Paul said, I have not seen nor ear heard the things that God has in store for us. That's pure grace. That is pure, unmerited, undeserved blessings from God. Every day we walk through this this earth, the grace of God is there for us. We have difficult times. We have things that we wish that we never had to go through. But grace is there for the person who will receive grace. And God's grace is abundant. But the grace that we have each and every day I mean, when we say grace before a meal, it's basically acknowledging, God, I don't even deserve 
what you have laid before me. This is an unearned blessing from God. I thank you for providing this food for me. When we go through our, our life and we see the grace of God each and every day, it is a teaspoon in comparison to an ocean of grace that God has in store for us in the future. When I see God's grace towards me, when I see God's mercy towards me, it makes me desirous of being more like him and applying that mercy, that grace to others around me. In Ephesians, it says, forgiving others as Christ has forgiven us. It is easy, so very easy, to hold on to grudges. I heard a preacher say one time, pet grudge, as if you have this little furry grudge that you, that is your grudge, and you feed it, and you nurture it, and you think about what that person did to you, and that grudge gets bigger and bigger, and you nurture it, and you care for that grudge because you do not want to extend mercy and grace to that individual. You want that person to suffer like you suffered when they said whatever to you, when they did whatever to you. You want them to suffer. But God's mercy and grace makes me want to extend mercy and grace to others. To realize Yes, that person, that was mean, that was wicked, that was evil, that was wrong of them. But it's also between them and God. Because God will hold them accountable for everything. There, is, there isn't a sin in the world that will not be judged one of two ways. Either Jesus died for that sin or that person will pay for their sin themselves. I don't need to try and put my own form of condemnation on those people, but to extend the mercy that God has showed me, to extend the grace that God has showed me, so that they may understand what God's grace is like that they can see in me a little bit of what God is like, that maybe they would be desirous of what God has to offer. For by grace are you saved through faith, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. Mercy and grace. The good Samaritan, he saw the man who was wounded, that was on his way from Jerusalem down through the mountains to Jericho. He was robbed and beaten and bruised and bleeding. 
And the good Samaritan saw that man, and that man's hurt was in the good Samaritan's heart to the extent that he put him on his own horse. And instead of riding to Jericho on his own horse in comfort, he put that man on his horse, and he walked before his horse all the way down to Jericho. He bought a hotel room, and he bought medicine so that that could be bound up in his wounds so that the man could heal. That was compassion. But he went even beyond that, and he said to the innkeeper, take care of this man and anything that I owe you for his recovery, I will pay you when I come back through here again. That was pure grace. Mercy and grace. God's goodness, we don't deserve it. So let me ask you, in the message this morning, are you in need of mercy and grace? Are you a sinner in need of a savior? Nobody wants to admit it in front of others. But you need to admit it between you and God. God, I need the mercy and grace of God. And you can get it settled today. God knows there is a great white throne of judgment. We will all be there either watching the proceedings or being part of the proceedings. And everything that we have ever said, did, thought wrong, we will be judged for. Are you in need of mercy and grace? Are you in need? Are you saved here today? And are you in need of extending mercy and grace, forgiveness to others? Are you holding a grudge? Are you bitter about something? God knows. God wants us to be like Christ, merciful and gracious and forgiving. Let's close with a word of prayer.